Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan, and a quick PSA before we get to today's episode of The Detail. We're looking at the Broadcasting Standards Authority Survey of Offensive Language, and by necessity the episode does acknowledge the existence and use of profanity and blasphemy. Most of this is disguised through rhymes and euphemisms and artfully assembled bleeps, but it won't take too much imagination to figure out what words we are talking about. So if you've young children in the house, or you simply don't like swearing, this might not be the programme for you today. Let's be honest, we all swear from time to time. Some of those situations are more public than others. Maybe you're delivering a live cross and a bee flies into your mouth. That led to Chris Wood's death. What the f*** is that? Maybe you're a politician speaking to a business lobby group and you really want them to know just how much you dislike the former New Zealand First MP Richard Prosser. But that makes me really angry. What a f***ing idiot. I mean, seriously. Maybe you've just slapped a comedian in the face at the Oscars in front of 20 million people. Keep my wife's name out your f- mouth! I'm going to, okay? But lots of people aren't actually a fan of swear words. There are various ways of dealing with this. Homer Simpson tried a swear jar. Oh, fudge. That's broken. Fiddle-dee-dee. That will require a tetanus shot. I'm not going to swear, but I am going to kick this doghouse down! But when foul language pops up in a broadcast on TV or on radio, there is a more elegant solution people have the right to complain to the Broadcasting Standards Authority, a Crown entity tasked with maintaining standards of broadcasting for free-to-air programming. But the thing is, the offensiveness of words isn't static. Crassness is in the ears of the beholders, you, the audience. So to keep a pace with how society views certain words, the BSA runs a survey every three or four years analysing New Zealanders' attitudes towards certain words and phrases. The most recent was released in late March. So today on the podcast, what do New Zealanders consider the most taboo words one can use? How have they changed over the years? What themes have cropped up in this survey? And when broadcasters do fall foul of these standards, what happens then? The Broadcasting Standards Authority, or Taimana Fanonga Kaipaho, has been around since uh, 1989. Glenn Scanlon is the Broadcasting Standards Authority's chief executive. It was set up then with some bit of legislation, as these things are. We are what you call a co-regulatory body, so we work with the broadcasting industry around the standards that the legislation's set out and which the industry follows. And look, they, they change a bit from time to time um, within the codes. Uh, we have three codes at the moment, um, or four actually, one for radio, one for free-to-air TV, one for pay TV, and uh, another for election material. They all contain very similar standards. There are 11 of those. They include things like we're talking about today, good taste and decency, which is sort of offensive material, children's interests, discrimination, denigration, where some of the language that is featured in the survey will often get complaints under that standard, through to the traditional sort of journalistic ones like balance and accuracy and fairness and things like that. Now, complaining to the BSA is actually a bit of a circuitous process. First off, you have to make a formal complaint to the broadcaster. The broadcaster then has 20 working days to respond, and if the complainant isn't satisfied with that response, then they take it to the BSA. 
The authority has a panel which assesses complaints. It's mainly made up of lawyers, and they talk to each of the sides, they listen to or watch the broadcast in question, and then they provide advice to the BSA's board, which has the final say. Last year, the authority considered about 206 complaints, and 15 were upheld. The BSA doesn't actually have much in the way of teeth. They can fine broadcasters, generally very small amounts. The nuclear option is taking the station off air for a period of time, but this happens exceedingly rarely. When it comes to language and swearing, what are the most common complaints that you get? Good question. Like Since 2018, it's normally around the use of uh, swear words, uh, or it might be around the use of words that people believe are a denigratory to a group of society. I had a little look before I came on and like the F word since 2018 has been complained about 16 times. There's been complaints about material relating to various what people might consider blasphemy about 20. So it's it's in the full gambit of sort of the stuff that's in our survey. Uh, and, you know, some of those things the authority has dealt with a number of times in the past and uh, has, you know, declined to uphold because society has changed in its attitudes to some of those things. The Broadcasting Standards Authority has decided it will not take any more complaints from people upset about the use of te reo Māori on air and on screen. When people make complaints about you know, usage of language and, and so on and so forth, I'm, I'm presuming that generally it is, it's when it's used in a context that you wouldn't expect it to be used in. In the survey, I saw that there is a segment pertaining to TV drama aired after 8.30pm. I'm making the assumption that there aren't that many complaints that come in from people watching The Wire or The Sopranos, because when you watch The Wire and The Sopranos, you're going to be exposed to a certain type of language. Is that a fair inference to make? Oh, very much. And look, you've hit it on the head there, and now on the head, context is everything. So the words we've, 31 words were tested in like 12 scenarios, and that 8.30 is one of them. So 8.30 has been traditionally known as the watershed. So after 8.30, um, you know, children are expected to be in bed, apparently. Um, <laughs> and a lot of that programming, if it's on free-to-air TV, for example, it will come if it's a film or a movie or drama, which is a different type of context to news and current affairs. So it will also come with a warning before it, telling you, uh, well, it normally would, telling you what um, might be offensive to certain people, in free-to-air TV, that would often be repeated after an ad break before it starts again. So you're getting quite a lot of information and warning about what's going to come up. Uh, so often the authority will look about complaints in relation to that material if it's after 8.30 and go, well, you know, what was the audience told? What was the expectation of the audience in that setting? Who was the intended audience for that material? Etc. Etc. and then make its decision. There was an interesting moment earlier this year. Um, Zoe Sadowski Sinnott had just won gold at the Winter Olympics, and her dad, who was clearly at the time of less than sound mind, said... She was... A... Crazy. She just went off the roof. I think he might have done it twice, actually. I'm pretty... F Get excited, to be honest. This is, you know, primetime news. It was kind of iconic, you know? It was kind of perfect. I don't know whether you got any complaints about it, but from your perspective, did you find that an interesting situation to kind of analyse or think about? Well, certainly um, if the authority was to get a complaint about that instance, I didn't see it myself, but I have certainly heard about it. They would look at the fact, the factors involved. So it was live. He was excited. Big moment for his family. What would have the audience expectation be? What was the reaction of the people for and after that live cross? 
and all that kind of stuff would um, lead to where they would go with the decision. It would all go into their thinking. Look, I don't know what, what they would decide um, if that was to come before them, but it would certainly be interesting. You know, quotes are interesting because, and you know, in pre-record, as we're, we're currently doing, you can go back and adjust things and stuff like that. But in a live setting, you kind of have to address it uh, as immediately as you can or as soon after as you can if something's happened that may cause some issues. Mm. There are shades of grey, and I think that's, uh, and certain the other commentators have said this, but that's uh, when the system gets those sorts of situations and stuff, it needs to consider those things. And if it's working properly, then it's it will make decisions based on all of those factors that allow for variations <laughs> at times, depending on what the context is. Glenn, what's your favourite swear word? Oh, Lord, I don't, Lordy. Um, what is my most favourite swear word? I've tried to t- tone it down a little Glenn bit. Glenn doesn't answer this directly. Also, who says Lordy? The boss of the BSA on a publicly funded podcast, I guess. The reason that I asked you your favourite swear word... You notice I avoided it. I did, yeah, <laughs> that was very that was very skillful. But the reason that I asked that is that, like, you know, I, I swear a lot. And I think perhaps that causes me to lose sight of the fact that actually there are plenty of people who don't like swearing and don't want to hear it from their radio or TV. And that is not a prude thing. It's just that they find it distasteful. And that's fair enough. Look, it does, a lot of it does come down to personal preference. Like the, the survey is interesting, isn't it? Because it does have a, that long list of 31 words and you wouldn't hear just about anything in the top half broadcast by anyone yeah. um, but you might hear people use some of those in their personal lives and there is a difference between using some of them in your personal life as opposed to broadcasting to 400,000 people. Well, one of the best that neatly segues us really into the the survey language that, that may offend in broadcasting, which is a really fascinating resource in examining how attitudes towards offensive language in, in, in some words change over time. Tell me a bit about this survey. How often do you do it? And, and why do you do it? What's the point of it? Well, I suppose, look, it's done every three to four years. Um, the last one was in 2018. And why do it? Uh, because we like to keep a track on how society feels about different forms of language and different words, uh, and it's a really useful tool for broadcasters and us and audiences to have. We've got that, um, the good taste and decency part where a lot of these complaints come under. And look, it, it's catch sort of summary line is that we have to look at the current norms of good taste and decency, mm. and it has to be consistent with the context of the program and the wider context of the broadcast. So we actually need to understand how audiences feel about a lot of this stuff. And um, because it's, you can be offended, it's okay to be offended, but how does broader society feel? So doing this um, research is, really helps us understand how broader society may be feeling. Uh, and it's feeling a bit different than you see. The survey presented 1,500 people with a list of 31 different words and asked them which they'd consider unacceptable in a series of different scenarios. For example, when said by the host of a news programme or a stand-up comedian or a caller into a talkback programme and so on. This is all then compiled into a final list of all 31 words ranked according to what's perceived as unacceptable in all scenarios. The most unacceptable word, two-thirds of people agreeing it's never okay to use in broadcasts, is a racial slur. In fact, interestingly, all the top seven words are either racist, sexist, or homophobic slurs. Glenn Scanlon speculated that might be influenced by things like the Black Lives Matter movement. 
I do think some of that is uh, some of the awareness raised by those events and, and also the movements around it. And I think it's really interesting and actually probably a good reflection on our society that New Zealanders are saying, look, we don't, we, we feel um, less offended by these sort of exclamatory swear words because a lot of them are used as exclamation points mm. and um, et cetera, et cetera, or, or some people use them like punctuation. But <laughs> on the other hand, they're saying we don't accept, we definitely don't accept um, language that is uh, denigratory or discriminatory again, to certain groups of society. And we feel very uncomfortable about it. And I actually think that's a good reflection on um, certainly the 1500 people we surveyed who are representative of this country uh, for this purpose so and you know there's quite a difference there between the use of shit for example and then some of those words at the top speaking of here's something interesting shit is not actually on the list at all nor is bastard nor is wanker which seemed curious these might not be top shelf swears but i certainly think of them as swears well look Shit is a swear word, and it was in 30 to 40% of Kiwis in 1999 when we did it, uh, didn't think it um, should be used in a lot of settings. Mm. And it fell out of the list actually quite some time ago, I think maybe around 2013 even. It was it was certainly well down the list compared to where it used to be. I think it just it, it reflects how common in use it is in society and that people don't take great offence at its use. They go back to that stuff around changing demographics, uh, diversity of population, different, you know, words have different meanings in, in different cultures. The understanding that and broadcasting that there are different audiences who have different comfort levels. Uh, and I think that huge increase in the variety of content that people can consume and sort of when they want to, uh, and it is everywhere, has certainly had an impact. And then I think you look at, you know, major events in our society, uh, you know, everything from Black Lives Matters um, through the terrible attacks in Christchurch. You know, these changes and these broader things, you know, changing approach to how people identify in relation to religion, religion and stuff like that, it all impacts all of this and how we feel about language. And look, I'm not a linguist and I'm not a societal expert, but that's kind of what I think has been happening. In words that you might think would be up there, the classics, if you like, are way down the list. Fire truck is sixth from bottom, way down on previous years. Armhole is fourth from bottom. 23 years ago, the Advertising Standards Authority received over 100 complaints about this ad. Bugger. Bugger. These days, that word isn't on the list. Megan Whelan is RNZ's head of content. I asked her whether she ever found it curious that swear words are actually a thing. You know, that we imbue them with this taboo power. It's really interesting, isn't it, when you think about it? I'm not an etymologist, so I don't have a good answer to that question. I'm sure someone would. But there is the things of when you are trying to to uh, indicate anger, when you're trying to indicate fear. But a lot of the words that I find really interesting, particularly on the list, are the gendered words. So I'll go down to the bottom. I'm pretty sure I'm allowed to say bitch on the radio. I know women who use bitch as a compliment. Mm. I don't find that particularly offensive except when it's yelled at me on the street and it has the word fat in front of it. And then I find it deeply offensive. So I think it is just about, you know, language shocks sometimes, language, um, uh, but it doesn't always have to be a swear word to shock. Um, I think it's about the ways we communicate and sometimes we have to communicate things that have really strong feeling. I think what's maybe, what's changed is what's offensive, right? So 
I would feel pretty comfortable saying shit on air. I just did. I would, I've said bitch, but I think it's all about context. We are guided by the community in terms of what is and isn't acceptable. And people slip up. The bloopers files are full of people saying those words accidentally. So people will slip up occasionally. And I think mostly that's that's funny rather than really bad, uh, depending on what it is. Let's go into that a bit. For someone who has no familiarity with how broadcasters sort of would deal with the situation, let's say that a presenter swears on air. Let's say it's Vicky Mackay. Oh, we'll give a situation. Let's say it's Vicky Mackay uh, when the guy called her earthquake happened. Series. And yes, Wellington, we are undergoing a fairly dense um, earthquake at the moment. Let's say that the Kaikoura earthquake happens and Vicky Mackay goes, what the f*** <laughs> was that? Which would be a perfectly understandable thing to mm-hmm. say in those circumstances. How would you deal with that from a, an RNZ point of view? Yeah. So first of all, there's the seven second delay, right? So if it's if it's something really bad, there is a button you can push that uh, that will delay the radio so that it doesn't go out. It doesn't go out. And then I've never really understood how that gets resolved. So where the seven seven catches up, but very very clever people who know how to do those things. So I, I, I assume it works. So there is there is that bit. If it's a genuine mistake like that, probably someone would cut the audio and put it into the bloopers file in our system and we'd all have a good laugh about it. Someone would probably say something to Vicky and say, hey, next time, completely understandable, huge earthquake, but next time maybe, you know, remember that your mic is live. Mm-hmm. If it was deliberate, if it is really offensive, if it was something that should have been checked, so if it was in a song or if it was in a piece of audio that had, you know, um, a, a pre-recorded interview or something that had come from parliament for example and that should have been checked and wasn't then there would be a process that we'd go through to sort of say hey what what went on here and obviously if we did get a complaint um through the bsa or the media council then we would follow that process as well so there's processes that we go through when, when these things happen but i think you know if it's a if it's a genuine mistake um mostly we just kind of go hmm that's a situation that is in in your control in the sense that you know you you employ people you you have expectations of those people scenarios that are out of your control are of course that interviews that presenters conduct so what's the story there it kind of entirely depends on what it is if it was for example a politician calling another politician bleeper bleeper there's news context in that right that's that's a hundred percent a news story and i don't know that we would play the audio for that particular word the one i've just said but we might and we have before well, yeah, because I was, I mean, even with that example, I was thinking of the, um, I mean, there have been a couple of incidents over the past couple of years involving Simon Bridges. Nationals leader Simon Bridges has apologised for saying one of his MPs was useless with a strong intensifier before the word. That must have been an editorial decision that you had at the time. Do you say that word on air? Absolutely. And look, I mean, I think the thing that's really important here, so it's really different when it's live radio, right? So when it's live radio, you're stuck with it. You have to just do what you can, um, either hang up the phone, turn off the microphone, hit the seven second dump, you know, do whatever you can to kind of minimize the, um, the damage um, and not offend people. But then I think if it's pre-recorded interview, then we do have time and we have conversation. So we might say, do we think that's really offensive? Do we think the public interest of the fact that the person has said this thing about another person, and it is particularly when it's politicians or public officials. Do we think the news value of that, the public interest of that, outweighs causing the offence? One thing that I have noticed hosting programmes for RNZ is words like crap and bugger, bloody, 
maybe they would have been offensive 20 years ago, but now it's it's fine. You know, they're almost part of the vernacular. They pass uncommented yeah. upon by the audience. Yeah. But if you if you drop a casual blasphemy, as I have done once and only once, you will get told off. Yes, absolutely. Blasphemy is still, I mean, and again, this comes to context and power and what your intent with the word is. And I'm sure when you when you blasphemed, you weren't intending to hurt people. But for people of faith, blasphemy is deeply offensive and quite hurtful. Um, and so it is, that is one of those things that I think, you know, I mean, gosh, I probably blaspheme quite a lot in my daily life. But again, it probably isn't something that's ever come out on air. It's one of those funny things, isn't it? That we're like casual sort of statements. Oh God, you know, stuff like that. That's just, it's stuff that I don't even think about. And yet... Some people really don't like that. And actually, you know what? Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yes. What's offensive to you and me, Emil, is very different to what's offensive to some of our audience. And we, we as um, people who have the privilege of talking on the radio occasionally, have to think about that. There was a great BSA decision a few a few months back. BFM has an ad. It's a BSA ad, actually, which you know is informing people about their right to complain to the BSA. And it ends with the sentence... Knuckles, cock and piss, balls. Thank you. Someone complained about that, uh, even though it had been on the on the air for like fifteen years or something, and, and nobody complained. I think twenty five years. Twenty five years. Someone complained about it. It went to you, and you did not uphold that complaint. Can you talk me through that? No, the authority didn't, uh, and for sort of many of the reasons we've been discussing. First of all, it's um, it, it is twenty five years old. Um, and very well known, uh, and it's on a student radio station. Uh, it's a humorous attempt to try and tell people about how they can complain about issues that they hear about. Um, the authorities sort of looked at the audience who would be listening to it, and um, they asked younger people and students, and as the survey shows, younger people are more open to, uh, let's call it general swearing like that, uh, and less worried and concerned about it. Uh, the authorities sort of said, look, it's it's not a terribly offensive in its context and um, just left it there. And look, I think, you know, it's an entirely sensible decision. Look, my grandmother used to say that only, silly, only people without intelligence swore. Mm. And I vehemently disagree with that. Um, and fact, I think there is research to suggest that that's not true. Um, uh, and, you know, she would say it's lazy. She would say all those things. And I, and I disagree with all of that. But I also think it's so much more powerful when it's done well than when it's just part of your language, right? Because if it is that point, to go bring it right back to that, you're the very first question you asked me, that we're trying to communicate something with it. We're trying to communicate anger or fear or heightened emotions or whatever it might be that you're trying to communicate. If you're using the F word in every sentence like you and I do, well, then it's lost its power, which is why it's falling down that list, which is cool and it's interesting that it changes, but it, it's losing its power. It's just in 50 years, the F word is just going to be a word we use all the time. Um, but probably something else will come along in its place. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Adrian Holley and produced by Sarah Robson. And thanks to Glenn Scanlon and Megan Whelan. Matewa. Matewa.